Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Last week, if you weren't here last week, we do this thing every Advent. These we, They're gift tags is what we call them where we write on a gift tag what we're asking the Lord to give us for Christmas. They're in their baskets under on uh, some on the inside, some on the outsides of the aisle. If you grab those and pass them down, if you weren't here last week, I want you to take one of those tags, and this is what I want you to write on it. One, I want you to write the name of somebody that you love who needs Jesus this December, and then the second thing is an area where you're asking the Lord to move. So uh, we pray for these things on Tuesday when we saw several people wrote unspoken, and I'll just tell you that's not allowed. It's anonymous. Like your name is not on the tag. You can't be anonymous and unspoken. You can put your name on the tag and say unspoken, or you can leave the tag anonymous and you can write a request. But you can't be an anonymous and an unspoken. So if you were unspoken, here's your do-over. Just take another tag and write something down. And it doesn't have to, like you don't have to give all of the details so that people, if If you're worried about privacy, I get it. There's some things that need to stay close. Just be general. Just write health. Just write marriage. You don't have to give anything beyond that. But we would love to be able to pray specifically for you. So grab one of those tags, somebody you love who needs Jesus in an area where you're asking him to move, where maybe you want to see some hope restored, as we just sang. And on the way out, there's some baskets. You can drop those tags in the baskets on the way out. And we invite everyone who's able to. Tuesday mornings from 7 to 7.30, we'll be praying through those tags, and you can come and be a part of that. All right, as Kim mentioned, second Sunday of Advent, uh, we look back at Jesus' first coming. We look forward to his second coming at the end of history. What we're trying to focus on as well is that Jesus still wants to come to us today. With Christmas, rightfully so, we can tend to focus just on the past. Uh, Jesus is a baby, and we can lose sight of Jesus as our Messiah now. Jesus has the King now, and we don't want to do that. We want to recognize that he wants to come to us in fuller and deeper ways uh, now through the Holy Spirit. So the passage that we used, or, or that we are using for this month is Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And last week we looked just at that first sentence uh, about the, the branch. A little backdrop, uh, background on this passage. I do think it's helpful. Uh, 735, 734 BC, somewhere in there, God gives Isaiah this word to the southern kingdom, that's Judah, uh, to his people. The southern kingdom of his people, that's Judah. And they're in a very difficult spot. So they've got this So they have an immediate threat, like knocking on the door, and then there's another threat that's kind of down the street. And the threat that's down the street, that kind of midterm threat, mid-range threat, that's the kingdom of Assyria. They are a wicked, terrorizing people. They don't just have the strongest army in the area. They also intentionally try to sow fear in the hearts of other nations. So they're, they're no good, and they are just gobbling up territory. So they're not knocking on Judah's door yet, but you can see them coming and there's no reason to think they're not going to keep encroaching upon your land. So that's kind of a midterm kind of threat. But immediately, they're they're in a war with the Syrians and with the Ephraimites, who are actually their brothers. That's the northern kingdom of Israel. They've already had one fight and they got their heads handed to them. They lost 120,000 soldiers in this one battle. 
and they have a guy named Ahaz who's wicked and godless as their king. So if you're just a regular guy living in Judah, 735, 734, you don't have a lot of hope. It's not looking good. You've got a king who is godless and wicked making decisions for you. You have this immediate threat of the Syrians and the Ephraimites, and they've already, they've already beat you once in a battle pretty significantly. And then longer term, you've got the, the threat of the Assyrians right there on the horizon. Again, there's no reason to think you're going to be able to do anything against those guys. And in the midst of that, God sends Isaiah, and he gives these words of comfort. There's a new king coming. When we talked about this last week, we said with these Messianic prophecies, you can look at them almost like, uh, with bifocals. There's a short-term and a long-term fulfillment. There's something that the guys who first hear it would be comforting to them. Almost, it's fulfilled to a degree almost always in their lifetime. And then a longer-term fulfillment that we see ultimately in Jesus. The short-term fulfillment, when you're thinking about a new king, is Ahaz's son. His name is Hezekiah. Within 15 or so years of this prophecy being given, Hezekiah takes the throne, and he's everything his dad wasn't. Godly, he's righteous, he's upright, he follows the Lord, the Lord is with him. He undoes a lot of the damage that his father has inflicted on the nation. And then long-term, we said, Jesus, he's the ultimate. He's branched with a capital B. Yes, he's a descendant of David. We that's why those genealogies in Matthew and Luke make a point to talk about, put David in the, in the family tree. Jesus does check that box uh, as a descendant of the family uh, of David. And more importantly for us, he's the king not just of the Jews, but of, of all of us. And he's the true fulfillment of that passage. So what we were talking about last week, because God is faithful, we can be hopeful. We can look back and say, hey, these prophecies have been fulfilled. And so I can see that, and that gives me hope looking forward to an unknown Future. Today we're going to look at that second phrase, the spirit of the Lord rests upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. We're going to just walk through what, it, what are those big words, those big terms mean, how would they have been understood to the guys when they first hear it, and then what does it look like uh, in Jesus and for us. So what are the, the words, the three big terms, rest, wisdom, and understanding. So the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God rests upon this king. To rest is to settle down and remain. So in the Old Testament, one of the things you see about the Holy Spirit, this is not meant to be irreverent, but he almost is like a jacket. People put him on and take him off for particular work. There are two guys who are going to build the temple. The Holy Spirit comes on, that's the phrase, comes on them to, to anoint them to build the temple. With the implication that when they're done building the temple, the Holy Spirit is, he, he removes himself from them. That's the Old Testament pattern. The Holy Spirit comes on particular people for particular work at a particular time. It's very focused. This is different. The Holy Spirit's going to settle down and remain on this king. That's new, and that would be very encouraging. What does it look like? What are the expressions? What are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit resting upon this king? This week, we're going to talk about two, wisdom and understanding. He's going to lead with wisdom and understanding because the Holy Spirit has settled down and remains on him. So what do those words wisdom and understanding mean? So uh, no, no reason to separate, and we will just for a second, just for the sake of clarity, but they, they, they go hand in hand. Uh, wisdom is knowing what to do in a specific or a given situation. Understanding is the ability or the capacity to see to the heart, to the root, to the core of an issue. And you can see, just think, that's really important for a leader to be able to have both of those things, wisdom and understanding. So wisdom and understanding are not the same thing as intelligence. 
This is not about being smart. People smart, book smart, street smart. It's not about any of that. Proverbs 9.10, important verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Those are our two words, wisdom and understanding. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear, when it's tied to the Lord, doesn't mean terror. It means great respect, awe, reverence. And knowledge, when it's connected to the Lord, we've said this a thousand times, it's not intellectual, it's experiential and relational. So if we were going to rework Proverbs 9.10, it would say something like having great respect, having awe, being, uh, revering the Lord. That's the foundation for knowing what to do in a given situation. A personal relationship with God that allows you, that allows me to see to the heart of a matter. That allows me to, to, to grasp what's really going on. There's nothing wrong with being smart, but being smart is not the same thing as having wisdom and understanding in the Bible. Solomon is an example. You remember Solomon, David's son. He takes over when David dies. God comes to him in a dream, says, you can have whatever you want. Solomon says, I need discernment to lead these people. He understands what it means to be the king. It's about serving people, not enriching himself. And God says, okay, and he gives it to him. Solomon's known as the wisest man who's ever lived. There's a story in 1 Kings 3. Two women, they're living together, and each one has a baby. Mary has a baby on Monday, and Betty has a baby on Thursday. Betty rolls over her baby at night and smothers it, kills it, and she wakes up, and she takes her dead baby, and she gives it to Mary, and she takes Mary's live baby, and she brings it to herself. Mary wakes up in the morning. She's obviously distraught because her baby's dead. Sun comes up. She can see the baby, and she's going, wait, th this isn't mine. So she goes to Solomon and said, here's what happened, and she tells him that story. Betty switched babies, and Betty's going, no, I didn't. She's lying. No videotapes, no eyewitnesses, no DNA. So Solomon, this is that famous phrase that you've heard. He says, well, split the baby. Bring a sword. Let's split it. You each get half. I, and, and Mary... Says, no, no, nope, just give the baby to Betty. And Betty says, that's a great idea. Let's split it in half. And Solomon knows. A mom devastated that her child is taken from her for sure, but would pick that over her child dying. And so he gives the baby back to Mary. Wisdom. It's not necessarily about intelligence. He knew what to do in a very difficult situation. He was able to see to the heart of the matter. That's what it means to have wisdom and understanding. That's what we're looking for in leaders. That's what we have in Jesus. Another example that may help, again, kind of wrap this up. What does that exactly does it look like? Contrast between Ahaz and Hezekiah. Ahaz doesn't have wisdom and understanding. Hezekiah does. The Spirit of God is upon Hezekiah. The Bible says that, he, that the Lord was with him. Never says that about Ahaz. Ahaz, again, he's a wicked Godless man, he sacrificed his son in the fire. There's no, nothing really good about him. They both have a similar situation during the time that they reign. They're both facing an enemy with, superior, uh, with a superior military force, and they have to make a decision on what to do. And in both cases, the prophet Isaiah uh, is consulted. They're given a word from God. Ahaz rejects Hezekiah. Except, so Ahaz actually doesn't seek out Isaiah. 
God has to send Isaiah to bump into Ahaz. That's how wicked he is. He's not even seeking what God would have him do. Ahaz has got the Syrians and the Ephraimites who are pressing on him. Again, he's already lost a significant battle to them. And what Isaiah says to him, you can see they're up there on the screen. He says, don't worry about them. They're not going to win. Just stand. Stand. Just stand. I'll even give you a sign, God says. I'll give you a sign to confirm that this word is true. Ahaz says, I don't want one. And what he winds up doing is, rather than trusting God, he makes a deal with the Assyrians. He assumes, like, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And so he goes to them. He pays them protection money to defeat these two enemies. And the Assyrians do. They defeat those two enemies. And then for the next 20-something years, the Judah is subject to the Assyrians. He trusted in Assyria to protect him more than he trusted in God to protect him. It may have made sense on paper. Maybe if you're looking, you say, I don't have any options. This is, maybe you've done this at some point. This is the best of a group of bad choices. And that's what he does. But it's not wise. And it's not, there's no understanding there. Because there's no fear of God there. Ultimately, in that moment, what God wants to know, the heart of the matter is, are you going to trust me? And Ahaz says, no, I'm not. I'm going to figure my way through this. I'm going to figure my way out of this. And it does provide some temporary peace for Judah because Assyria does beat those two enemies. But when Chronicles, 2 Chronicles talks about this episode, it says, Ahaz went to Assyria for help, but all he got was trouble. So even though it helped on a very short term, it helped temporarily, what it wound up doing is it changed the relationship where Judah was no longer a free nation. They were now under the Assyrians' protection versus under God's protection. Hezekiah, very different response. He, I think, is actually in a worse spot because he has the Assyrians knocking at his door. There's at least 200,000 troops outside the walls of Jerusalem. They've already taken several cities in Judah. And they say to him, surrender or we're running you over. Those are your two choices. Look at our track record. You know what we do. Nobody stands up to us. Nobody can stop us. You can't trust your God. Nobody else's God's work. Yours isn't either. Hezekiah goes to Isaiah and says, what do I do? He's ripping off his clothes, sackcloth and ashes, the whole thing. Praying, asking, asking Isaiah to ask God, what do we do? And you saw the, the words that God spoke to Hezekiah through Isaiah. Don't worry about it. I'm going to send them packing. My zeal will accomplish this. So you're the king. You got a city full of people. They're looking to you to say, hey, what do we do? And outside, there's 200,000 troops, again, and they're terrorists. Everybody knows what they do. They skin their victims alive. They behead people, make a pile of skulls. Like no, Everybody's scared. And they say, all right, king, what are we going to do? And here's your great response. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to surrender. We're not going to fight. We're not going to do anything. All right. How does that go over? You, what would you say? What would you say? Recount, whatever. Recall. We need, a new, we need a new leader. That's what we would do. Difficult. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Sometimes God's wisdom looks like foolishness. Not always. But sometimes his wisdom looks like foolishness. That's what they do. Hezekiah, in that moment, it actually is wise because he's trusting the Lord. He's saying, God, you've got to protect us. You have to protect us. We're leaning on you. Fight for your own reputation and protect us. 
And that night, 185,000 Assyrian troops are killed by the angel of the Lord. And they pack up and leave, those who are left. It's an amazing turnaround. That's wisdom and understanding. It's wisdom rooted in the fear of the Lord. Understanding rooted in the knowledge of the Holy One. It comes from this place of saying the heart of the matter is only and always. Am I trusting God? That's always the central question. Is this an expression of faith or not? For Ahaz, no. For Hezekiah, yes. Is this, is this decision, is this a reflection of the fact that I revere God, that I trust God, that I know God? Yes or no? That's wisdom and understanding. We see it lived out fully and completely in Jesus, who's the king with a capital K. The Spirit of God rests upon him. Remember at his baptism, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and descends upon him. John, the Baptist, actually says, that's how I knew he'd be the Messiah. The Father told me, the one upon whom the Holy Spirit rests, that's the guy. That was one of the signs that, they were, that John the Baptist was looking for, fulfilled in Jesus. And we see wisdom and understanding in him. You may have different ideas of what that looks like. I was thinking about it in terms of the controversies that Jesus faces. He does, he's a king, but a different kind of king. He doesn't have a nation. He doesn't have an army. He's not fighting those kind of military battles. But there are people who want him. They want him dead. And I see wisdom and understanding in his response. I think of the woman caught in an adultery. John 8, you remember that. He's teaching in a public setting. The Pharisees bring this woman to him, and they say caught in the act of adultery. They throw her down at his feet and say, the law of Moses says stoner. What do you think we should do? And they're trying to trap him. If he says stoner, then he can get in trouble with the Romans because the Jews are not allowed to execute capital punishment anymore. And they could go to the Roman government and say, see that guy? He's a rebel. You need to do something about him. And if he says, don't stoner, then, he, then they can go to, their Jewish, to, the, to the Jewish people and say, look, he doesn't value the law. He's not honoring what Moses told us to do. You can't follow that guy. They think they've got him boxed in. And Jesus does something completely out of the, I mean, who thought, he starts writing in the dirt. I mean, I don't know, where does that come from? He starts writing in the dirt. And the people keep accusing her. And eventually he says, well, which one of you hasn't sinned? You can throw the first rock. And they all start leaving, oldest to youngest. And then when they're all gone, he says to the woman, where are your accusers? As no one condemned you. And she says, nobody. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That to me is wisdom. He knew what to do in a very difficult circumstance. His enemies are trying to box him in. And he's able to do an end run around them. He's able to somehow... I'm trying to think through if that was me. How does he in that moment with all of that pressure, it's a public setting, he's got some really smart people who they think they've crafted a scenario and a question that's going to trap him. And somehow he's able to be both merciful and just at the same time. It's amazing to me, that response. It's trite. It's a cliche for us. I can't imagine in the moment that, that response. It's brilliant. Not intelligent. Fear of the Lord. Knowledge of the Holy One. Leading to wisdom and understanding. Again, in this moment, with this woman, he's able to honor both justice and mercy. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Understanding. Think of the last week of his life, he's getting hammered with questions. People are doing anything they can to try to trip him up. The Herodians and the Pharisees, they come to him. And they say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? And again, they think they've got him boxed in. 
The Herodians, the answer is yes. For the Pharisees, the answer is no. So Jesus, in their mind, it's a yes or no question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? If he says no, then the Herodians are going to get mad, and it's not just about offending them. Then they get to go to their people and say, look, he's saying don't pay taxes. He's a rebel. Get him. If he says, yes, pay taxes, the Pharisees get upset, and then they get to go to their people and say, look, he's saying we should pay taxes to this pagan Roman government. There's no way he's the Messiah. Abandon him. Again, they're trying to box him in. Brilliant response. Bring me a denarius. Whose inscription is on it? Caesar. We'll give to Caesar what's Caesar and to God what's God. He gets to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is allegiance. It's ultimately about ordered loyalty. And that's what he's saying to them. He cuts through everything else. Again, not a, it's not about smarts. It's about the fear of the Lord, knowledge of the Holy One, leading to wisdom and understanding. All rooted in the fact that the Spirit of God has dwelt upon him, remains in him, on him. It's amazing to me. And what's even more amazing as we close... He's your king, and he's my king, and he's not stingy. The same spirit that rested upon him lives within you and me if we're following him, the exact same Holy Spirit. He didn't get an upgrade. It's the same. The same Holy Spirit that rested upon him dwells within us, and he'll lead us. He'll lead us. This morning, who needs wisdom? Who's facing a decision? And you're not exactly sure what to do. Let's ask James 1.5. If anybody needs wisdom, ask for it. It doesn't have to be about something that you think is spiritual. Everything is God's. The earth is his and everything in it. So ask him. God, I need to know what to do. Sometimes if all your options are crummy, you need wisdom. Sometimes if all your options are good, you need wisdom. God, I don't know. I'm 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 asking. I think if you're going to ask, just know going in to me, fear of the Lord, best thing is to go ahead and say, I'm going to say yes, even though I don't know what the answer is. God doesn't give advice and he doesn't give suggestions. He does give direction. He expects to be obeyed. So it's not like, hey, God, maybe you can let me know and I'm going to go talk to some other guys and see what they think and then kind of weigh it out on the spreadsheet. It doesn't work that way. God, I'm going to ask you and whatever you say, even if I don't like you, if I'm uncomfortable, even if I don't understand, I'm going to do it. That's what it means to fear the Lord. It's a recognition that he's all wise, all knowing, all good, all powerful, and, and we say yes. So that's an, that's an acknowledgement of humility going in. So I would encourage you, you need wisdom. Begin by saying, God, here's my preemptive yes, whatever it is. Do you need understanding? I think about this a lot of times in relationships. It doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you just keep doing this with somebody you're not really sure what's going on. God, I need, what, what actually is happening here? What's the root of this conflict? What's the core? What's the heart? Why do we keep missing each other or banging in? What, what is it? And he can give you that sense of discernment. Help peel away some of the layers, remove some of the clutter so you can see a bit more clearly. Do you need wisdom this morning? Do you need understanding? The Spirit of God that rested upon Jesus lives within you. And he'll speak to you. Not to your ears, but he'll speak to your heart. He'll, he'll guide you. He'll direct you. All you have to do is ask from a place of humility.
And that's what we want to do. Bo's going to come back and lead us in worship. Our ministry teams are going to come up here. And what we want to do is give you an opportunity to come forward and receive prayer. You can kneel if you want, or you can come uh, receive prayer from these teams. And I would just say, again, one of those two things. Do you need wisdom? Do you need understanding? You may say, well, I have a decision, but it's really not that big a deal. There are other people that have bigger decisions. It doesn't matter. If it's a big deal to you, then it's a big deal. God's not, again, we've said this before. God doesn't say, well, you know what? I'm going to speak to Trent today. So sorry, Courtney, I don't have anything left. I'm tired. He doesn't do that. He has something for all of us. So again, whether you, if you're doing the thing to say, well, what I am struggling with is really not that significant. So I'm just going to sit here. It's not helping. It's not helping anybody else. And it's not helping you. If you need wisdom or understanding, let's ask the Lord for it and trust him to speak. So you guys pray with me. Bo, you come on back. Jesus, we thank you that you are the best king. That you lead this universe and our little lives with perfect wisdom and understanding. You always see to the heart of the matter and you always know the best thing to do. Always. We're thankful that you've never made a wrong or a bad decision. We're thankful you've never acted on bad information. And so I pray for each one of us, and particularly those who today are saying, I need that. I'm at a fork in the road, and I'm not really sure to go to, if I should go to the left or the right. Holy Spirit, would you speak? The same spirit that rested upon Jesus now lives in us. Would you lead us? Give us ears to hear what you're saying. Courage to respond. For those who are in a bit of a fog. And they're going, I need, I need some clarity. I need some discernment. I need to be able to see what's actually going on here. Holy Spirit, would you shine your light? In the midst of that foggy darkness. My prayer between now and December 25th is everybody who's seeking wisdom would find it. Everybody who's seeking understanding would receive it. We would all know that Isaiah 30 cents, whether we go to the left or the right, there's this voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 